All right, folks, welcome back. We got a glorious episode of the Boombastic cast for you. This one's been on the on the burner, on its way, cooking up, rising into a beautiful state. Uh, we got it here for you. The great, fantastic. I was very excited to land this guest. You know what I mean, Peter Jason. Uh, in a lot of my favorite Carpenter films, a lot of my favorite Walter Hill films, just all over the place. He's been on just about every TV show that I loved, you know what I mean? Um, this episode, we're going to lean more into the films and the TV show, but my God, has he done a lot of fucking classic television as well as classic film. And uh, it's just an honor and a privilege. Can't wait to get into it. Hawk, do you want to say anything about Peter before we pop in? Oh, just that uh, I think Peter is the perfect example of a lot of people that we've have, had on the show and which I always promote trying to get on the show are that when you hear his name, you might not ne- necessarily know who he is. But when you see his face, you know exactly who he is. He is a character actor that is has been through some of the best films and TV and and he's always there. He's always working and he's one of those guys that always pulls you in. He's he might not be the star, but he's a star in our hearts. And and sure. I'm not whistling Dixie. He's he's definitely one of the best and when I heard that we finally got him on the show I was extremely excited. Yeah, the driver, the long riders, nice dreams with Cheech and Chong, Mummy Darius, some kind of hero, 48 hours, Streets of Fire, Karate Kid, Dreamscape, Brewster's Millions, Heartbreak Ridge, Prince of Darkness, Sunset, Johnny Handsome, The Hunt for Red October, Arachnophobia, Mocked for Death in the Mouth of Madness, Adaptation, and Hail Caesar. Um, Hail Caesar. To name a few. That's only a few of them. To name a few. All right. We didn't even get to get into Hail Caesar or Adaptation because it was that jam-packed with greatness maybe next time around. Um, but hell's to the yeah. And uh, everybody, take your shoes off. Kick your feet up. Have some fun. Watch this episode of the Boombastic Cast with our great guest, Peter Jason. Peter, welcome to the Boombastic Cast. I tell you, man, it's a real honor and a privilege to have you on the show. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. You've heard that before, I'm sure, by me. You know what I mean? Exciting for all of us. Very exciting. (laughs) You know, we're gigantic fans. You know what I mean? Your body of work. And you're a great dude. You're a funny guy. I like it. You know what I mean? Um, You know, we won't take up too much of your time, so we'll hop right on it. You know what I mean? You know, we'll hop right on in. Yeah. (laughs) So... So where, where did Peter catch the, the acting bug? Um, in high school? Around high school? Doing some theater work? Senior in high school. Yeah. A girl had a crush on, talked me into auditioning for the senior play. I got the lead. I went out opening night. They exploded into applause. And I went, you know, screw football. This is great. <laughs> yeah. now, now, that was uh, the man who came to dinner, right? You've been reading my notes. Yes, yes. Well, I, the, uh, the thing is that uh, I really uh, keyed into that because I myself also did The Man Who Came to Dinner when I was in college. Who now, admittedly, I was in the lead. Um, I played uh, Adolf Metz. He was the uh, professor that was into cockroaches. 
very beginning uh, scene. So yeah, I mean, I love that play, and uh, and and uh, yeah, it's definitely. So you played Whiteside, I'm assuming, right? Great dribbling cow woman. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, I love love that character, love that that play so much, yeah. and I can definitely see why someone would be so you know in love with it, especially after. After playing that kind of role, which is such a steam, a scene stealing role within itself. Yeah, it was a blast. You know, yeah, it, it, that's that's good. that's how I got bit. Yeah, we've had a few people on the show that came from like they were in, they were doing football. You know what I mean? And kind of it it it, it went into the theater thing. You know what I mean? I sur- I survived Carnegie Tech playing football because there were free meals, but I was still. <laughs> concentrated on the acting. I just played football because I was good at it, and I got free meals. Hell yeah. We can't beat a free meal. Don't hit me in the face, please. I got a, <laughs> I got a show this afternoon. Hey, hey, yeah. d- don't mess up the moneymaker. Don't mess up the moneymaker. <laughs> what position but, did you, you know, when we, were, when we were shooting Deadwood, there was uh, James... Uh, James... Uh, Gleason? No, James... Uh, Forget the cinematographer, the first cinematographer on uh, on uh, Deadwood. He won the Academy Award for the cinematography in a in a, uh, a movie he made about South America. I forget the name of it, but James Gleason, not Gleason, but it starts with a, it starts with a G. He, he'd come up every morning. He'd walk in and go, he'd go, "How's my little money maker today?" <laughs> it made you feel like great, you know. It made yeah. you feel. Really important. He, I love that guy. I wish I could remember his name right now, but I'm very old. Well, it happens. You know, people don't talk enough about like the onset. Um, you know how important it is to kind of know people's names, to be friendly with people. You know what I mean? Make it a good environment. You know what I mean? I'm glad to hear that with him. Well, it's a family. You create a family. Yeah, for sure. You know? That's what happened the first time I went on stage with the, the man who came to dinner. There's all these people in my high school, we created a family. And the, and the, the joie de vivre, the, the, the love of each other, it kind of rises above the play. It makes the play, it, it makes you, makes it bigger than the play. It, it, it's, it's, uh, it, what, it's what I think civilization was formed by, because of people getting together and, and uh, falling in love and, and, uh, with each other and supporting each other. Yeah. Uh, it's just happens too little today. You know, it's just like, we're all going the opposite direction. Everybody's at war with everybody and, uh, nobody can listen to the other person. They just want to talk. So yeah. I'll shut up and listen for a second. <laughs> yeah. Did you notice any like drastic, you know, reservations on either sides when you went from football to the theater, because usually, you know, theater kids and football kids don't really get along, you know what I mean? So it's kind of like it's a still family. Football, still family. you create a family, everybody's supporting your, t- your teammates, you know, and uh, the same thing in the theater. You support, you know, you support each other. And, and the ones who are the egotistical assholes, you know, the ones that want to try to steal the limelight from everybody are the ones uh, that don't make it fun. Yeah. They take the joy out of the trip. And uh, you start you, st- you you start leaning towards the uh, away from them and towards the people who are there uh, to for the the plays the thing it's called the plays the thing so it's not about uh, Bob Jones is the thing you know right. no, Bob Jones is a 
part of the play that's the thing. So if you can't get that into your brain, you're not going to have any fun and you're not going to be around that long. I mean, there are a few people, you know, that, that got kicked out. I mean, that, that, that are no fun to play with that uh, nobody liked to play with and their careers are kind of, been shot in the ass, you know, the Steven Seagal's of the world and stuff like that. You just, you know, just no fun to be around. So you hang out in your trailer. You wait till that movie's over. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Steven Seagal's career was mocked for death, I heard. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to bad mouth anybody. He's one of them. I feel bad mouth. Yeah. Seagal's an interesting dude. I think, I don't know. I think that he, I don't know, it's a, he's, I like Seagal because I grew up, I was, you know, that was like right in my era. But yeah, you always hear things about him getting wild. Hey, when he played the cook with seven lines in the movie, you know, it was, it was fantastic. Yeah. It's when he opens his mouth and when he has to run, that's so embarrassing. That's a problem. Yeah. You know, when you you got your leading man running like Donald Duck. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. Get somebody who had a little coordination. And he's a bully. He is a bully. He's always been real beefy, too. Like, for for the people in that, the action genre leading men of his time, he's kind, he was kind of always like a chunky, you know, well, I feel I'm like. Sure, he was I'm being... sure he's not listening to this, but if he does, we're through talking about you. He's, uh, we're, we're a big fan. We're big fans. So, when, um. When did theater, I know you kind of were doing a lot of TV in the beginning of your career, you know what I mean, when you hopped off. Well, I did a lot of theater. theater. Uh, I did a lot of theater, and uh, I helped start a, a group called the South Coast Repertory Theater, which is still very successful down south. Uh, <coughs> I joined uh, uh, several repertory companies uh, and, and uh, spent some time with them. I did summer stock in uh, Peterborough, New Hampshire, in uh, the Millbrook Playhouse in the middle of Pennsylvania, uh, ACT in San Francisco a couple of times. Uh, <coughs> excuse me, I'm trying to get over this cough. And uh, theater was great. I mean, I just loved doing it. And uh, I grew up out here in Newport Beach, which is about 60 miles south of Hollywood here. And uh, all the theater groups that were down there, I worked at the Laguna Playhouse and uh, uh, South Coast Rep, Newport Players, uh, stuff like that. And then I came up to L.A. and started doing theater here, Theater West. I joined them and we started doing a lot of plays. We did the world premiere of The Web and the Rock, uh, uh, written by Thomas Wolfe. But uh, the play was written by uh, Philip Abbott. And uh, that was my first professional show in Hollywood and kind of got me my start from that. I started and went on to Gunsmoke and Cimarron Strip and Land of the Giants and <coughs> things like that. I wish I could get rid of this cough. The, um, you know, theater, you know, go- going around all those theaters is, you know, it's like going to you know, like acting school. You know, paying dues, getting out there, meeting a lot of folks, um, sharpening your acting tools, you know what I mean? And then, like, when, when TV comes into play, did, were they, did they go out and find you, or were you just, like, take, starting up auditioning? I started auditioning. Yeah. I did a play down in Laguna. I did A Man for All Seasons. I played King Henry VIII. <laughs> <coughs> we may see me expire right here on the show. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll no. black it out out of respect if it happens. Thank you. 
<laughs> yeah, theater, theater, like when I was in high school, like it, I, like filmmaking was, uh, you know, watching movies was huge for me. Filmmaking was starting to come into my life, wanting to do it towards the end of high school. And like, I always wish that I got on the theater team and maybe did lighting or some type of stage. Like I'm not an actor, but like some type of getting into it, meeting more actors. I'd probably be working with those actors today. You know what I mean? If I met them then. Um, Yeah. I I always regret not getting involved. I I couldn't have done the theater stuff, but like I could have definitely done some stage. And I think the teacher is direct. I don't think they let anybody direct, but uh, you know, I could have been an assistant to them, learned a little bit, you know, well, you know, you find out what you like to do, and then you, you aim for that, and you try to do it. Yeah. Well, I mean, people, I, people just help you along the way. If you're sincere and you're in earnest and you're uh, not out for yourself, uh, people will help you. Yeah, Everybody yeah. helped me. I remember my first season of Summer Stock. I thought it was hot shit. I took over the lead in The Rainmaker because the, the equity actor got sick, and I happened to know. I'd done the scene in school. And so I, I told him, I, you know, I lied. I said, yeah, I know the show. And uh, so I, I got to take over the lead at, at the Peterborough Playhouse. And <clears throat> I remember first night uh, after I did it, you know, and I went running down to the bar to meet all the girls and tell me how great I was. And I just dumped all my costume and everything right there and took off. Second night I came back and all my costume and makeup was out on the back porch in a pile with a note on it saying, when you learn to dress like an actor, you can dress with the actor. Oh. And this character actor, Bob Alvin, who was the old master character actor there, he'd written the note, put all my shit outside, and I had to dress and make up outside uh, for a week before I could, you know, start hanging my wardrobe, putting my makeup shit together, put the little towel over it, make, make my space was like clean like everybody else's, you know? Yeah. Instead of a, a, a pig star, my the pig star is back, you know, <clears throat> and uh, that was that was a lesson I learned. But uh, they, they, you know, you you learn along the way, and, and and if they see that you have potential and you and you show uh, interest in, in in being a part of the family and making it better, they will come in and 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 lift you up and help you, you know, like uh, show you the way. Yeah. Pass on the pass on the jewels, as they say. Exactly. And, uh, uh, I was very fortunate. A lot of these old actors. I remember Stuart Whitman on my one of my first TV shows was a thing called Cimarron Strip. It was a ninety minute western, and I was the young guy from Boston. I was coming out from Boston with my <laughs> family on the covered wagon, and uh, uh, I was the wild young kid. And uh, the first time we see a uh, ten thousand head of cattle, you know, I turn around to the covered wagon, go, walk, you know, and, and and well, you know, there's no cattle out there, but uh, I was supposed to yell back. Then they're like thirty feet back, and so I yell, and then Mike, my guy threw his earphones off. Said, hey, you know, it, 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 you don't have to scream, okay? You blew us out of the booth here. <laughs> Stuart Whitman came up to me later. And he went, you know. You're a stage actor, right? I said, yes, sir. You know, on the stage, you got to do it. In front of the camera, you got to think it. Mm. And that piece of information actually carried me for my whole career because uh, I tend to play authoritative characters, uh, larger than life. I mean, not larger than life, big characters. And uh, uh, the directors always told me, you know, can you take it down a little? Just take it. <laughs> Walter Hill. 
Hell yeah. Three times in one movie on a big fat close up, we go, can you take that down, Peter? And he's like, cut, Peter. Can you cut that in half? And Peter, take that down. And I'm Walter, I'm doing nothing. Yeah, cut that in half. (laughs) (laughs) So nothing is too much. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, I mean, that's great advice from me. I also appreciated, you know, them putting your clothes outside. You know, it's, it's, that in itself is like a moment of testing. It's a test, I feel, because it's all, it's like, we want you to respect the craft, but I think that's also like an ego check type situation too, where it's like some actors would be like, well, fuck you guys and just never show up again. You know what I mean? They're like, oh, you're going to treat me like this. It's over. And uh, I'm sure a lot of them. Are you kidding? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, yeah, it's good. You know, there, it, it, it's not, it's not like uh, they make you work for it. It's not an easy feat to get in there, you know. And like you said with that family, you know, it's kind of like um, you're accepted in, but you've got to prove that you want to be there and that you're willing to give your everything for it with them yeah. before you're accepted into the family, you know what I mean? Exactly. It's, uh, it's changed a lot. It's changed yeah. a ton. I mean, uh, the advent of the technology Number one is like uh, huge. He used to be met by uh, my agent. He would meet me outside the studio and he'd walk you in through the gate. And uh, then you'd go into the building, casting building, and, and there'd be a, a, a series of, of, of uh, secretaries. And they had a pecking order, you know, and there's your, your first, your one day line, your five part, five day line, your one, two day line, your, your guest starring role, your co-starring role, your series regular. Each secretary had like a, it was a pecking order, right? You had to work your way through it, right? and your money went up the same way. Yeah. And uh, uh, oh, you can hear me coughing? Sorry, my love. <laughs> That's a very nice lady. New water. <laughs> Reload. Reload. And, uh, <clears throat> and so that's the way that's the way it was done then and uh today there's your agent doesn't, never leaves his office he just right. sends you a text or a fax or a uh email with the sides that you're going to audition for and you learn those and you and you get the information by computer or by cell phone and you look up oh the producer the director the writer the star you go on IMDb you look at what they've done if the director's only made two movies you go shit he needs me you know <laughs> or or if he's made thirty movies and, and and three of them are great you go oh geez oh I remember that moment in uh, in. Uh, Sayonara, Charlie, when they blew up the bridge, that was really, oh, my God. So when you're in the room, when you get into the room to meet with these people, and there's maybe four or five, six people in the room, and you're auditioning for, and uh, you don't know who they are. One's a director, one's a writer, one's a producer, one's a, you know, you, know, you, you, don't, you don't really know. They kind of introduce you a little bit, but they don't tell you, he's a number one guy, he's a number two girl, she's number three. You know, they don't do that. They yeah. just, they're all sitting there going, all right, please. And it's like a beauty contest. You know, it's like, a, uh, who do I like? Yeah. Who do I like best? You know? And it's, it's uh, so you have to, you have a couple seconds in there to go to change the dynamic of the room. 
to make it instead of them judging you, you may, I try to find out that moment. I said, by the way, Bob, when you directed uh, the, the scorpion eats the uh, raisin, when, when you did that movie, did, uh, how did you, how did you get the raisin to be, uh, dissolved? oh my God, that took three days. We had to come into the sideway and they had to, we blew up the pop up. And all of a sudden it's two guys talking about how you make shit. Yeah. Right. And, 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 and in that process, it changes the dynamic in the room. It's not now no longer somebody judging somebody else about do I like you. It's it's this. Oh, we do it. We make it like this. And then we do it like this. And then we make. It's two guys talking about how you make stuff, or a guy and a girl talking about how they make stuff. And that's what we do. That's what we we love to do. And so when they leave the room later on, and they're voting on the twelve guys that came in, why do you want number two? Because that guy, I like that guy. I want to spend the two weeks with that guy. Mm. Oh, okay. It's still a beauty contest, but <laughs> but you become a heartworm now, and you've gone in the guy's heart, and you've talked about the thing he loved and he made. The guy likes what I made. You know, I made that. So uh, you try to change the dynamic in the room. If you can do that, you got a shot at being in the thing. Because the hardest part is getting in the thing. That's the hardest. There's 500 guys just like me that are trying to get in that thing, mm-hmm. you know. So how do you how do you without stepping on people's feet? How do you get in there? And uh, you'd only have a teeny window, little teeny window when you get in there, because they say, "Hi, this is Bob Jones." All right, Peter, read the thing to Bob Jones. Bob the cow ate the grass. Thank you. Next. Uh, uh, this is Steve Jones. Uh, the cow ate the grass. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Steve. And each one's going to read the same lines, the same way, kind of. And uh, how do you pick who's the best at that? You know, they're all pretty much the same, especially when you've been doing it for 57 years. We're all kind of know each other. We're all going to do it the same way, the best way we can. Yeah. And how do you pick somebody? You know, so you have to figure out how to survive in the business by coming up with your own method. You know, uh, Stanislavski called it the method. Uh, what's his name from an actor's studio? Oh, Lipton. James huh? Lipton. James Lipton. Uh, he, he interviewed the actor's studio. I'm talking oh, about the four? teacher. Uh, huh? The teacher from the actor's studio. Anyway, yeah. you forget his name. He was in The Godfather, and, and uh, uh, he died, and whatever. Uh, I anyway, know what he, you're talking about, yeah. He, he claimed that he had the method. With the Brandos and the and the James Deans and the you know, Paul Newmans, uh, he had the method. But what what they really meant was a method, mm-hmm. not the method. A method. You have to have a method. So you find out what your method is. Everyone's got a different method. You know, some people can cry on cue. Other people have to pull a nose hair out to make themselves cry. <laughs> yeah. You know. So uh, it, it's a method. You have to have a method, and it develops slowly. It's like working on Chevys. You know, you work on a Chevy for ten years. You know Chevys, right? You know, give them a Plymouth, and you go, oh, I don't know, it's fucked. I don't know about a Plymouth. You know, but if you keep, if you get to work on a Chevy, and then you work on a Ford, and then you work on a Plymouth, and then you work on a Desoto, and then you work on a Hudson, then you kind of each one you get more info. Same with each acting teacher is going to give you a little more of something. Everybody you work with is going to give you a little something. Try this. Try that. Try this. And it works or it doesn't work. You throw out what doesn't work and you keep it work. And you keep, you know, refining your craft and refining your craft until 
you find out uh, somebody says to you, hey, uh, director goes, uh, you know, where are you coming from when you open that door to walk into that room? Well, uh, is it coming from my trailer? <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, where's your character come from? Oh, uh, from uh, uh, killing his mother. Yeah. Well, can we have a little of that on the entrance of the uh, door? <laughs> Instead of, hey, how you doing? I just came from lunch. You know, so it's like each each person adds a little more about how to fill your character because it's layered. It's just layers and layers and layers. The more layers you get on there, the richer the character is. More you want to watch them. Lazy actors, you know, have too many layers. It's true. Yeah, I think it's very, that thing you said about being, you know, likable is huge too because, like, everybody's doing the same stuff. And, you know, the whole, you know, you're going to be with these people two, three weeks, whatever. You're going to want to like them. You don't want to be with people that, you know, you have fun with. It's not too much of a party, but, like, you're getting work done and you're having fun doing it. You know what I mean? Whenever you – It helps the trip. It helps yeah. the trip. Yeah, because you'll see, like, like I've auditioned actors, and they come in super serious. And when they come in super serious, you almost get worried a little bit. You know what I mean? That, like, they might have an issue on set where they just strongly don't agree with doing something because, you know, the character. I, I'm very collaborative with the actors. Alex will tell you. So, like, we kind of work it out beforehand. But, like, when you deal with the serious actor in an audition, you get the vibe. Like, there's going to be a time where they're going to tell you no. I'm not have. I'm not doing. I don't want to do that. I can understand certain things you don't want to do, but like simple things where they start to like, no, 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 no. My character wouldn't do that type deal. Uh, which that stuff should all be worked out in the beginning. You know what I mean? Now, when you when you get into a character, talking about methods and stuff, like what do you kind of pull from? Are you a guy that listens to music? Is music heavily involved in it? Do you do read into certain you know type of stories to kind of get your head into it or? How do you kind of when you when you're developing a character? How do you kind of go about that? Well, it's different with every character, but I like to find out how the guy walks. Okay, you know, uh, I like to start there. I like to get to the set early. I like to sit in my space if it's a desk or a bar or a, a jail or a, a firehouse or wherever the set is, whatever I'm playing. I like to go early. That way I can, number one, because I play a lot of parts where I'm just on for a day or just on for a couple of days, and, and there's already a family created. You know, it's a whole company is already a family, and they're already there, and they're already friends. And I'm this intruder walks in, mm. right, for a day. And I'm supposed to play an authority figure mostly. So I got to walk in in a day and take over. It's very difficult to do. Yeah. So I like to go early. I like to see everybody on the set and see who I know. I know the medic. I worked with him before. I go over and say hi. I worked with that grip before. And some people walk up to me and say, hey, Pete, hey, Bill. Yeah, we worked on that. Oh, yeah. And I say, if you're there early, you can find out people you've worked with. And all of a sudden, the family starts to, you start to create a little family. Yeah, You have fans already. You have friends that are like you, people that are rooting for you. You know, it's it, it, you come in and you make yourself more comfortable. And so the more comfortable you are, the easier it is to be, uh, let that creative process work. And then I, I slowly, you know, sit at my desk and work, make, does this drawer work? What's in that? Is my cup, my cup of coffee? I'll use that cup. You know, and you find out the stuff that's there that you can play with. Yeah. And then, so by the time the director doesn't have time to come over and say, listen, uh, when you do that, pick up your coffee cup, and, you know, they just say action and you, and you, 
and you try to try to fill in the the time before he says cut and uh, with uh, hopefully saying the correct lines. But if you're there early, uh, I find that uh, I can, uh, I can be way more comfortable and I can uh, kind of give them what they want a little more, but I have no really way of building it. I just start at the beginning and try to get as deep into the guy as I can. Yeah. And, uh, I like to rehearse, but I don't like to be over-rehearsed. Yeah. Uh, on Deadwood, we learned that, uh, you know, we just, they gave us a script that morning. And, uh, you know, we just went to each other's trailers and learned it as fast as we could. And then you took it up and it's like doing a play live, improvisational practically, except you have to say the lines. Right. So uh, we rehearsed. That was, that was a test and it was a blast. You know, we loved doing it because it brought together everything that we were trained to do. Yeah, you know, I think all of, us, all of us that have done theater love theater more than anything. Yeah, Edward's a great show too. You know, Con Stapleton, classic character, big fan. You know, it must have been cool to kind of jump back into. Um, you know, Deadwood came out well, like early two thousands, and like being a western. You know, you weren't really seeing too much of it that, at that point. I think we've come back to Westerns a little bit more since then. But that was like the deal. Deadwood's a great show. You know, the movie came out as well a couple years later. A little more than a couple years, I think. It's, um, I, they do, yeah, I don't know why they choose. They, they wait a little bit to put out the movie. Sopranos did it too, which I thought was interesting, where like the, sh- the, the series ended and then like 10 years later or so they do the movie. Which is kind of, you'd think you'd want to do it a little. It was a prequel, sooner. wasn't it? Huh? Was it a prequel with his son? Yeah, it was, uh, it wasn't that. Yeah, bad. it was, <laughs> yeah, it was a prequel, uh, with, uh, that actually had, um, um, oh, uh, his actual son. His actual son played the younger version of him in, uh, Many Saints of Newark, I think was the Did name. You see it? I haven't seen it. I've seen the trailer, and yeah, yeah. I mean, I seen it. It was uh, it was good, but it like I don't think it. If you're a typical fan of The Sopranos, I don't think it gave you kind of what you wanted, but what you got from the show. You know, what no, I, mean? I don't think but, the movie The Deadwood did either. You know? Yeah, but it's like they're kind of like um, they're like um, both of those movies are. Um, I mean, they're just kind of, they're companion pieces to the show. Like, it's almost like, a, I wouldn't want to say like a fan film, because they're obviously not, but it's kind of like, a, they're just giving the fans one last hurrah type thing. Thrown together to, to, yeah, that last hurrah, you're absolutely right. I feel that way too. Yeah. But uh, they wait too long. Now, was it Surviving? You worked with Gandolfini, right? And was it Surviving Christmas? Or Saving Christmas? Oh, he was in that. That's right. I didn't yeah. work with him. I worked with Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck, yeah. His boss in, uh, at the beginning of the movie yeah. when he's trying to sell some uh, alcoholic uh, cocoa drink or something. Like yeah. that. <laughs> some some uh, uh, eggnog, uh, alcoholic eggnog or something. Yeah. I don't know what he was selling, but he, he wanted <laughs> Uh, I think I turned him down, but it was fun working with him because he likes to ad lib, and, and he's sharp as a tack and fast as could be, and intimidating. So yeah. everybody at the table, the director said, "You know, you open up for ad lib or anything you want to do," 
and he took off and, and no one at the table said a word. <laughs> it was like, oh my God, I got to take this on myself. And so uh, I just I just jumped in and started going with him and it was really fun. Had a blast with him and not one person at the table said a word. <laughs> it was like a two character scene, you know. I could I can only imagine when people go into imp- especially at a table read where the writers are there and stuff, it's kind of like a I bet there's like a weird I don't know, it depends on the writer, I guess, where if people just like kinda ixnay there's what they've did and go in their own direction and then it's kind of intimidating as another actor because, you know, there's a, it's weird. You're like, I got to keep up with this person. But do you think about the writers at all when you're improv? Well, like were, these were writers. These were actors who were at the table in the, well, yeah. in the scene. Was that, were there, are the writers there usually at the table read? Or no, no, there weren't any writers. This is the, we're, this is not an action and we're doing this too. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. All right. Some of them are extras. Some of them are actors. Some of them, you know, but they gave them all permission to talk. During this improv of, of him trying to sell this thing, I happen to be the uh, chairman of the board of the yeah. thing that he's selling, you know. But uh, I mean, I should have been the guy talking most of the time. But uh, they had permission to join in and jump in, and no one took it. Not a soul jumped in. Uh, excuse me, man. Not no. Shut up. Uh, you know that, that didn't even happen. You know, it was like, uh, but he was cool. He was. And he was he was really really bright and sharp and fast and funny. Yeah, very funny. I I enjoyed it. Yeah, we love Affleck. He's a Boston boy. Yeah, exactly. You know, if I him and Damon, if I was an actor, I'd be worried because you feel like if an actor is just going off the top like that, cameras are rolling. It's like you almost don't want to get into it because what if you blow them off their rhythm or something? You know what I mean? Well, you got to get into it, otherwise you, gotta, you yeah. blow them off their rhythm. If you don't, if you're not listening, it's all about listening. Yeah, you know, if you're listening, you're going to say what you need to say at the right time. You need to say it. Yeah. But if you're if you're like oh 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 what you know if you're just waiting to say something, that's not going to happen. But yeah. if you're actually listening and you're going, sometimes you don't even have to say anything. Yeah, all you have to do is listen. Yeah, you know? yeah. but I don't know. That's good stuff. I love doing improv. I love I love improv. Improv, it's it's great when it's done. It just we did a lot of it in uh, uh, with Louis Anderson in uh, baskets, in ba- baskets or yeah, something. Yeah, like yeah. That. Yeah. Oh my god, God love Louis. He was so great. Yeah. And uh, Jonathan Crisell, the director, had uh, Zach and, and 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 Louis. We'd all, we'd all do the scene as written. You know, we'd do the scene as written a couple times. So they had that, and then. You know, free form. You say anything you want. And those two, they just take off. Like, ah, and you just try to catch them. You know, you just try to, hey, hang on, whoa. You know, you, just, you ride that pony until it drops, you know. And they were, they were, they'd go anywhere. they just, you know, go off in some, some, uh, some trail that you'd have to just try to figure out how to get there and hang on. It, it was fun. It was really fun. That's when acting is fun. Yeah. Yeah, well, Louis's got the comedy background, so he's used to working like on his feet, you know, right off the coming up on the on the moment, you know what I mean, to kind of work out of a situation or whatever. Um, was your first feature length film uh, Rio Blobo? Yeah, the Howard. Now that was Howard Hawks' last film, right? Yes. 
How was it working with Howard Hawks? He's such a legendary director. I mean, we'll talk about John Carpenter in a little bit. And I know he's hugely influenced by Hawks. You know what I mean? Yes, um, well, that's one of the reasons I got to work with Carpenter was because I worked with Hawks. <laughs> I had a feeling that it would be something like that. Cause he's such his a wife, guy. John's wife, I'd worked with on the Long Riders. Uh, she was the script supervisor on the Long Riders. And uh, she, she, she was a problem that Tim Rosovich and I helped her out with. And uh, she never forgot it. You know, and later on, after she on Starman, she met John and married him. And uh, she mentioned me to her husband. You know, and and John brought me in for Prince of Darkness, and uh, that's 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 how I got into that company. I ended up doing eight movies for John and, and becoming part of his family. Uh, I did. Uh, you know, Walter was Walter Hill was my uh, Frank Marshall introduced me to Walter Hill on yeah. The I ended up yeah, doing three. I ended up doing 13 for it for Walter and I uh, be, became part of his family. And, and, uh, and Frank Marshall's another one. I ended up doing five or six movies for Frank because uh, uh, we grew up together and, and uh, uh, he got me in with Walter and uh, on, on the driver, he, he took me, he called me up. Yeah. He got me in the, the Raiders of the Lost Ark, too, which yeah. nobody even knows I was in because I was not credited. But after they'd made the movie, Frank calls me up and he goes, uh, what are you doing? I said, nothing. He said, okay, listen, we're on a submarine down in Long Beach Harbor. Can you get down here Saturday? I said, sure. You know, so I drove down there and they, they shot the movie already. The movie was done. It's over. Everyone gone back home to England and wherever. But they never shot the sequence on the submarine because they couldn't get a, a World War II submarine, right? They finally got one. It was down in Long Beach Harbor. And I came down there, and I remember the Nazi with the burn on his hand. And uh, uh, Well, I played him on the submarine. So I got, they gave me a handkerchief, and <clears throat> patted me, you know, made me look a little heavier. And I played him in the submarine all the seasons. And if you'd ever been in a submarine, it's like, you know, you bump, you, you just bump, and a cameraman well, trying to get a camera and shooting around in the summary was like ridiculous, ridiculous. But, uh, yeah, well, that was one of the, one of the first things I shot with Frank was that, and, uh, and Spielberg, and, uh, that was pretty, it was pretty fun. How was Spielberg? Did he, was he on set? He was producing. Of course. Yeah. Of course. He directed it. He directed it, yeah. I lost my mind for a second. How is dealing with Spielberg as a director? You know, he's gi- gigantic. You know, well, it's like playing with someone on the playground. You know, it's like uh, he's he's uh, he's a kid. You know, he's just. Yeah. Uh, uh, in fact, one of my favorite moments was on Arachnophobia when I was standing off on the standing on the set and, and Steven, Steven, I think, was producer one of the producers of it. He came up to visit. We were up in uh, somewhere up there in Northern California and. and uh, well, the, the fictitious town was Canaima, but it was really uh, Cambria, Cambria, yeah. California. And uh, we were up in Cambria, and he came to the set to visit. And there were several kids in the movie. Uh, Pierce Brosnan, not Pierce Brosnan, uh, Jeff Daniels. Jeff Daniels' kids and Harley Jane Kozak were the husband and wife, and they had kids. And there were some local kids in the neighborhood. So the kids were all standing around, four or five of them, standing over there by the coffee and the, by the, the craft service. And Spielberg's there talking to him. And as you see, 
five or six kids and Spielberg kind of talking and kicking their feet in the ground and kind of uncomfortable standing there and kind of doing like this and kind of like, and I just stood off on the side and watched because it was like, it was like seven kids hanging out, talking about their marble collection or something, you know? And, yeah. Well, you know, I got a Puri and I got a bullseye agate. Oh yeah. I got a Steely. Oh, you got a Steely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, we should set up a gallery. Yeah. Maybe it was. And they were just standing around all talking. And it was like, they were on the same wavelength, Yeah, you know? And to me, that was kind of like what it was like working with Steven. He's, 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 uh, he's childlike, mm. you know, not childish. Right. Childlike. And uh I remember I did another show with my TV show. I think it was his first TV show, maybe. Amazing Stories? Amazing Stories, right. And it was uh uh the, Kevin Costner's first guest starring role. It was called The Mission. And I played the commander. And I'm up in the, I'm up in the tower talking to him. And this and the plane didn't have any wheels on it. It's going to crash and, 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 and blow up. And yeah. so, and, and, and the machine gunner in the back happened to be a cartoonist and he drew cartoon, yellow cartoon tires on it. Like, like mm-hmm. Mickey mouse tie, big tires. And the, uh, and the plane lands on, the, on these rubber yellow tires, bang, bang, bang. And it lands softly. And then they disappear boom, and it falls to the ground. Right. That was kind of the story of the deal. And I'm up on the tower going, oh, they're going to crash and break. They're going to all going to die. Well, now I lay me down to sleep. And he wanted me to do that little poem that John Wayne did and something. Uh, I don't know what. In, uh, no, that's, that's gone with the wind. What was the one? The high and the mighty. Kind of like that. And, and he wanted me to do this prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And, uh, but he had, he had his hand on me. The camera's right here on me. And he had my, and he'd squeeze and move and, and, you know, faster, slower. Now, you know, and he'd, he'd kind of direct you with his hand, right? And no one had ever done that before to me. And, uh, it was, it was strangely fun. You know, I was like, wow. It's like being, like being a horse and he's, oh, yeah. and he like, that, that were the reins, you know, and he like, he'd like hold you back, let you go, hold you back, pull you back. And it was, it was, it was really, really fun. Another time, uh, with Spielberg was on the set of, uh, Seabiscuit. Yes. Mm. It was, uh, this, I probably shouldn't even tell this story. <laughs> sure you can. <laughs> Do we have time? We got plenty of time. Oh God! Until you actually <laughs> you say adios, we'll stay here for weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I better not tell that story. What else we got? So I want John Carpenter. I love John Carpenter, man. He's always spoken very highly of you. I well. <laughs> You know, I got to pause for a second because just here, even though that's a lie, I took that to my heart and it made me happy. You know what I mean? <laughs> now, I know you've done uh, a lot of films with him and his wife introduced you guys. Do you remember like the first time you met him, like in person? Yes. How that went down? Yes. Very. How is John Carpenter as a person? Because when I see him in interviews, I love him to death. He seems super serious. Um, but I know that like behind the scenes, I bet he's a kid. You know what I mean? 
he's in a good way. He's uh, he's uh, he's uh, he doesn't like actors. <laughs> <laughs> I think he loves actors, but he says he doesn't like actors. Yeah, I hate actors. I hate actors. He says. <laughs> yeah, he surrounds himself with actors all the time, and uh, uh, and I think he just loves actors, and I think he wants to be an actor. In fact, he's been an actor in. Uh, Body Several bags. of his shows. One of the Village of the Damned, he had a little part in it, yes. and in uh, uh, the the trilogy, the Body, uh, bags. Body bags. Yeah, Body Bags. He played the Crypt Master or whatever the hell he was with Tom yeah. Tom Arnold. Yeah, the two of them are the uh, the corpses. Tom's a mortician, I think, and he's the corpse or something like that. Yeah, he's the corpse, and he turns into like a crypt keeper type character that kind of narrates yeah. exactly and. Uh, uh, but John, I first met after Sandy told him about me, and so he brought me in to his office. And uh, I went in, and he said, uh, my wife speaks highly of you, and uh, I'd like you to, uh, here's a script I'm working on. It's a horror man. I make horror movies, and uh, this is sci-fi horror kind of. He says, this is, uh, I'd like you to read it and uh, take it home, and then uh, come back and tell me what you think about it. Nobody asks me to do that. Yeah, yeah. Don't tell me what to do, you know. Stand there and say this. Oh, okay, you know. They uh, they give you the script and it's already there, and you do what they tell you. But nobody says take this home and read it and tell me what you want to do with it. You know, I'm I'm not. I wasn't at the level of an actor, and I'd never done it before, so I had no idea what to do. So I called David Warner, a dear friend of mine who just passed away this last Rest week. Rest in peace. Yeah, he just passed away last week in England, and uh, he was a dear friend. Sorry. I called him up. He'd made a lot of these kind of movies. Uh-huh. This was a this was a zombie movie, a kind of a yeah. horror zombie. These guys uh, turn into zombies and come back and kill people or whatever the hell. And uh, vampires or zombies. I don't know what that difference is. Anyway, he. Uh, I said, David, you've done a bunch of these movies. I said, what do I what do I want to do with this movie, with this character? And he's read it. And he goes, oh, I'll tell you, you know what I've always wanted to do? Play one of these guys who's killed like that. And and when he comes back, and he's, it's very painful death because they spray this stuff in your mouth and you die in an agony. You're just in agony when you die. And when you come back to life, you're still in agony. You know? And but you, you got to kill these people. And so you're like, you're a sympathetic killer. And they, oh, the audience will love you because you're sympathetic and you don't really want to kill them, but you do anyway. You know, so I said, oh, I'd love to play that part. It's a great part. I said, oh, what a great idea. Thank you. Well, I took it home. I reread it with that in mind, right? And I thought, oh, that's great. And, and in the process of doing that, I went, oh, what if I did it this way? And I, and I came up with another idea about how to play this guy. Now I know how to, now I know what, he, what he's talking about. How to, and so the third time I read through it, I, I said, oh my God, what if I put, how many people in the ha- this happens to a uh, uh, seven? So it's the seven deadly sins. I said, what if I was lost? And I came back as lost. Ha! You know, I got to play this guy's love and everybody else is playing their, you know, greed and uh, whatever the seven deadly sins are. And so I said, okay, I'm ready to go in. So I called Carpenter and said, yeah, I come in and chat about it. I came in and I told him the story about David and he loves David. And uh, he said, oh, God, that's a great idea. Perfect. That's what I said. Wait, wait, wait. I got more. And I gave him the next one. He went, Oh, no, no, I don't, I don't like that. I said, oh, And I gave him the next one. He said, he said there's, there's seven of them. And I said, Yeah. I, I said, You wrote it. He said, Yeah, but I didn't count them. And he, <laughs> so he goes, 
seven deadly sins. Oh God, I love that idea. That's oh, that's a great idea. It. Oh no 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 no! I'm gonna have to change everything. It's gonna cost me money. I have to do a rewrite. I have to take. No, I can't. I I, I I can't do that. No no. Let's let's just go with oh seven deadly sins. That's so good. Uh, another movie. Uh, why don't we just do the David one? And I said. Great, man, whatever. I'm in the movie, so what the hell do I care? Do it any way you want me to do it. You know, and that's, that was our first movie together. Yeah. And, and uh, it, 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 I just love the way he worked. And he respects actors who come in prepared. Yeah. He doesn't appreciate actors who come in unprepared. And it happened on several movies that I was on with him when the actor, the big star actor, or actress came in and was unprepared. Oh, Jesus. And havoc was wreaked. <coughs> the shit will hit the fan if you come in and you don't know your line. You only have two, two things to do as an actor. Two things to do. Show up on time and know your lines. Right. You don't even have to be good. Yeah. But those two things you have to do. You have to show up on time. And Frank Sinatra used to say, if you're not early, you're late. Mm. You know, so show up on time and know your lines. Those two things, right? And uh, if you show up late and you don't know your lines, you know. Double trouble, yeah. I will hang you out to dry, sucker. You will be (laughs) drying and dripping until you ain't got a secreted bone in your body. <laughs> See now I understand why he says he doesn't like actors because I don't blame him in a situation like that. A lot of money is at stake. You know, you show up and you got to work with them, learn their act. Learn, an actor learning their lines on set is kind of a weird deal. You know what I mean? You, like you're right. You show up and you know your lines, and that's that's the vibe. Prince of Darkness is a great film. Very scary. It's very scary. The makeup job is horrifying. The whole vomiting like into the mouth thing, I was blown away by when I first seen that. I was like, that's so original and creepy and you don't want so that to creepy. happen. Yeah. So creepy. And, and uh, Donald Pleasance, God, love that guy. Yeah. He was so much to find. The dream. And he is over here visiting from England, right, when we made that movie. And so I had to pick him up. Sandy, I had this big old Cadillac that Orson Welles gave me for non-payment and i had this 1970 caddy convertible uh, maroon it was a beautiful car and uh so uh, uh, john or sandy said can you pick up uh uh, uh what's his face at the hotel and bring him down to long beach where we had this set i said sure so for a whole week i'm picking him up at uh, i think at the chateau marmont and 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 uh, taking donald down to Long Beach was about an hour ride. Nice. So I got to, I got to hang out with him every day at the beginning and at the end of the day and talking about whatever, you know, whatever the hell we were talking about. And the guy's certifiable. No, truly. <laughs> He's certifiable. I mean, yeah. I'm not talking ill of the dead. This guy was just nuts. And it, but in the best sense of the word, he was like 11. You know, he's like, you're hanging out with an 11 year old and the mind is just. <laughs> Yeah. And just so much fun to be with. So we're doing the scene. It's like the climactic scene in the movie where the big green pit is You know, where the devil is being made in this ooze and it's a big, huge pit. And we're down in a, in a place in Long Beach. It looked like it's going to collapse any second. It's a gigantic, weird kind of warehouse. And it looks like it's made out of paper mache. And the whole place is going to, all three stories are going to come down and kill all the actors. You know, it's like 
oh my God, we have to walk inside this place? And it's like staircases and weirdness. And he's got 8 billion candles lit all over the place. We're going to go up and it's going to burn down and then it's going to fall down and we're all going to be dead, you know, at the end of this, at the end of this scene. And we're shooting this thing. And of course they shoot it on Donald first. And he's got the uh, he got the big green slime going behind him, and he's oh, and and the devil is coming, and he's going to get you. Wood, we got to protect him. We got to, uh, you know, he's doing this whole big speech, <laughs> beautiful speech, right? And uh, all eight of us are on the other side of him, maybe ten of us, I'm not sure, but we're all standing here listening to the speech about what the devil's going to do, and then they turn it around. They turned a camera on. I got two cameras. It's all going on all of us over his shoulder, right? And so they go, and action. And Donald goes, the devil is going to. And we're all going. Trying not to laugh as he's just just doing every face he's got in the book, trying trying to crack one of us up. Yeah. Oh my God, it was so much fun and so hard not to laugh at him because you know, Donald Pleasance, for Christ's sake. Yeah. Oh, I that's, love that. cool. that's cool. He stuck around. I often hear horror stories of. Uh, I think there was a, like on the waterfront of the story where like Brando did a big the big scene. Where I'm, I'm a contender. Uh, I could have been a contender. Seeing yeah, that, it was Rob Schneider. With yeah, and then I guess he like he left. Like when Brando's close up was done, he left. So like Steiger had to like do like do it with the production assistant or something like that. Like it was a weird yeah, and he was like really angry about it. Because you should you should give the respect to your actor to be there for the flip side of it. <laughs> well, I, the story I heard was yeah. that Kazan told uh, Brando in that scene that it wasn't working very well. So he said, listen, gave him a gun. He said, put it in his pocket. He said, pull it out in the middle of it. Mm. He's talking to his brother. He's brother, you know, come on, I could have been a contender. I mean, you, you should have stuck up for me. You know, you should have been my guy. You should have been working there. And he said, well, you know, and, and uh, what's his face uh, with the nose yeah. is uh, – is his brother and, and he's, he's, he's saying, well, you know, I, I try and he, he should have done something like that. And he pulls the gun on him. And the moment's like, goes, he goes, what you like? You're my brother. What are you pulling that guy? You know, it was like, he didn't say anything. He just pulled the gun on it. Right. In the scene. And the reaction on, uh, what's his name's face was like exactly what, what Kazan wanted, you know, and he wanted this astonishment of, what? How dare you know? Uh, uh, that, that's the one of the stories I heard. So he must have been there for that scene. Yeah, okay. uh, I don't. I never heard that he wasn't there for the scene. I heard. Yeah, I heard rumor. I could be wrong, but I heard rumor that like when he when his close up was done, he just left and left the Steiger to like kind of do it with an AD or whoever was like there to be the op, his like you know to play off of. I could be wrong, but I heard. I thought I heard that. Uh, Brando is yeah. a weird dude where he's super, super talented. You know, I think the, the reputation of Brando is bigger than him, so to speak, what he kind of became. And, I, you know, a lot of things like that, you'll see that people just tell a story about him being difficult because it fits his mold. 
so to speak, because he's probably got to be one of the, you know, if, if it's real or not, but talk, you know, in talk, he's probably one of the most difficult actors, supposedly, you know what I mean, to deal with. That's what I hear. I never worked with him. I just admired him from afar. I saw everything he did. It was always the furthest, the front of acting for my whole generation. Yeah. I mean, James Dean and Marlon Brando were the guys, you know. Later on, it was Paul Newman and Robert Redford and uh, Brad Pitt. Those guys all came of that ilk. But uh, Streetcar, if you see Streetcar or if you see On the Waterfront or if you see uh, One-Eyed Jacks or if you see uh, Zapata or anything that Brando did, even when he directed himself. Fugitive kind, I think, yeah. Good flick. He just even in something like the form. It was I think it was called the formula where he's working with Gene uh, with uh, uh, Patton. You know, the guy who played Patton, George C. Scott. Okay. And, and, and he turns to him and he goes in the middle of the scene. There's a, there's a there's some candies on the table. He just reached down and goes milk dud. Hands <laughs> <laughs> a milk dud. I mean, Godfather. Come on. Yeah, yeah. He he could behave. He just behave. He would behave, and, and and you just wish you had the freedom to behave when fifty guys and a camera are all staring at you right. in this intimate little moment with yourself. When he take when he's with Eva Marie Saint and on the waterfront, and he's walking with her in the park, and he takes her glove and he puts it on his hand, you know, her glove, and you go, oh my god! It's like it's like Walter Hill directing. Uh, in Streets of Fire, uh, the the scene when uh, 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 I forget the actor's name now, uh, James Raymar yeah. is on the, on the subway with his girlfriend, and he's and he and he, and he terrorizes the the the, the graduate uh, the uh, the people are going to the prom. He scares them all off, and one girl drops her gardenia, you know, and he reaches down on the ground and he picks it up and he hands it to his girlfriend. You know, it's a tender little moment for this guy who's like a thug. And and he takes this little tiny flower and hands it to his his, his girl. And it, it's such a tender moment. Same with the glove on... on, on, on. It, it's when you juxtapose those kind of moments. Uh, and, and, and those, I think those come out of uh, behavior, just actors' behavior that see something and go with it. Yeah. Uh, Accidents, practically not accidents, but uh, I don't know. They're, they're thoughtful accidents, right? Streets of Fire is like it's a beautifully shot film. It looks like it was very complicated to make. You know what I mean? It's kind of like a musical as well as like uh, the entire back lot at Universal. The entire yeah. back lot was made with the train up ahead. The whole it was like huge, huge set, gigantic set. Biggest set probably I've ever been on. Yeah. Yeah. <coughs> yeah. He, he's Walter Hill is the man. I got, I, I will pop into Walter Hill in a second. Um, I got, when you read a script like they live, do you understand how groundbreaking it is at the time? Did you guys understand like what you, a lot of people say it's a documentary now, but do you, at the time, do you understand kind of how important that film would become or is it just another kind of film? I had no idea what it was. Yeah. In fact, my wife and I went to the premiere. Mm-hmm. We're sitting next to each other. The movie ends, and we look at each other like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they're screaming and yelling. The audience is screaming and yelling, and we're going... <laughs> I must be too old. I don't get it. 
And I totally didn't. I didn't yeah. for years, you know, until people told me what it was about. <laughs> yeah. It really is like, uh, I love Carpenter's whole filmography, but that one really, you know, there's a couple of them that ran, really stand out. And They Live is like such a wild movie, you know what I mean? Roddy it was, Piper it was, was well, It was fun to make. I know that. It was really fun to make. It looked like a lot of fun, you know, being that my three favorites of John's that I worked on were, uh, well, I liked working on all of them, but I love Village of the Dam. Village of the Dam was the most fun. I think I, I had working on one of John's movies. It was just, we, we all went off someplace, you know, for a, a summer and a beautiful place. And, uh, and it was just like a little dream vacation. Everybody was, a family was created. It was just such a beautiful group of people. Uh, that one and, uh, the same with, um, Ghosts of Mars. Yeah. We went off to another remote place with, which was the Zia Pueblo in New Mexico. And, uh, they painted that entire, was a gypsum mine on an Indian reservation in New Mexico. It was a white. Gypsum is white, and they painted the entire ground red because it was Mars, you know. And so every day it would rain, and uh, <laughs> Sandy Carpenter and I had these two little uh, pagers, you know, those little pagers you hook on your belt. Yeah. She and I had each had one because I went down and made a deal with the head of uh, the news in 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 in, uh, in uh, Albuquerque that uh, the only Doppler in uh, all of New Mexico was at this uh, uh, newscast, which is part of the school there or something. And uh, so uh, we never knew when the monsoon would come in every evening between four and seven, this monsoon had hit for like a half an hour. <laughs> Just come down and blast, right? So I made a deal with the, with the, with the newscaster there said, we'll put you in the movie if you let us know 15 minutes in advance where this monsoon is going to hit us, <laughs> right? And so Sandy and had a beeper, and I had a beeper, and it would go off. Oh, oh, my God. And we'd go cut and throw everybody under the tent. We'd have our dinner at that time. The, the monsoon's pouring down, and as soon as the monsoon was over, everyone was finishing dinner. We put our things away and go back to work. And the and the and the and the two girls and the guy with the tanks on their back and the spray, like you're spraying for bugs, you know, one of those big long spray things. They would go back to the set and spray the whole ground red again. You know, I'm just a vision of them painting the ground red every day after dinner. It was a uh, it was, uh, oh, it was such a great movie, to be honest. I mean, I learned so much on that movie. It was so much fun. Yeah, those are those are great films, you know. You know I shot, that- also, I shot 36 hours of footage because my character comes on at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. I'm the engineer with Bobby Carradine. And then at the end of the movie, we take him away, right? Yeah, and the van thing. <laughs> and we bring the heroes in, dump them off, and then we're not in the movie again until the end where we take them away. <laughs> And, and, uh, and, uh, uh, um, so by the way, that train we gave to, uh, the Zia Pueblo, they oh, wanted, really? we, we couldn't remove it. It was like some modern, they, and they said, they said, well, we'll do the cleanup of the whole area if you give us the train. So John gave them the train <laughs> and they have it out in front of the Zia Pueblo, like they're selling cigarettes from it. You know, it's yeah, like yeah. A, a tourist. <laughs> 
first attraction, right? Anyway, uh, uh, that was a little sidebar, but um, I like what I'm going to say about. Uh, oh, gosh, I forget. I, I, I we're po- we we're talking about having to repaint the set. I always thought that there was a lot of very lot of green screen in Ghosts of Mars. I got that vibe, you know what I mean? Like, like the majority of it was. Shot, I think they pretty much shot everything that was there. It was like uh, they built this set. There was this little town, and uh, I remember. Oh, I, that's what it was. The, I, I shot thirty six hours of footage with Sean. Uh, Sandy Carpenter's assistant, the two of us had this camera and we'd go around and, sh- and you know, shoot behind the scenes. Right? And uh, so I would always try to find a spot out of the way, behind the camera, or out of John's way, not bothering anybody. And one of my favorite things to do was find a spot where no one could see me. And, and, and I'd like to start the camera off on, uh, on John and go, action! And I'd like to pull into the action come in close, watch the action, and just before they said cut, come back off and go to John again, cut! You know, so I get the whole scene in one shot, right? Yeah, that was yeah. one of the, that was one of the things I perfected over the period of time that we were there. And because uh, I'd watched the scene being rehearsed, so I knew how long it would take to get back to him. And, 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 and so I'd find, I'd find places to hide. Well, there was this one scene, it's a gigantic scene of the, of the whole town where all the monsters are coming out of all these doorways and they're going to meet our heroes in the middle of the street and this fight is going to ensue or something like that. So there's like six buildings right? and a hill in the back. All these extras are coming over the hill all made up with all these crazy <laughs> Mars people and things on their nose and hanging in the spikes in their shade and they uh, look like some uh, misinformed uh, uh, Hell's Angels or something. (laughs) And uh, I found this spot up on top where you had to, I had to climb this one building, jump across this thing, crawl along the edge, get back up here. And here I am in the corner up on top. And I got a shot of the entire street. I can shoot the whole thing, right? And so I'm up here, you know, warming up, looking at what I'm going to hit now. Everything else, I got it here. It's got to be a great fucking shot. And all of a sudden, I watch them all down below. And all of a sudden, I see John go, how'd you get there? And I go, never mind. This is my spot. I found this spot. He said, how the hell did you get there? No, I, this is my. How did you get there? And I said, all right. You got to go over there. You got to climb on the back of it. Then you got to jump across. Then you got to crawl along the edge. Then you got to come up on top of that. Just a minute. He goes over and he does a thing, touch a chair, cuts a cross, bum, 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 comes up with any. He comes up and he goes, I can see every entrance and exit from here. I said, this is my spot. He said, get the hell out of here. <laughs> Gary, bring the camera up. And he said, hoisted the camera up and they put it on my spot, right? <laughs> and he shot the whole thing from up there. So that was, that was, uh, that was one of my favorite moments on that movie. What happened to all that footage of the, like the behind the scenes stuff? Just- oh, that's the sad part. Oh no! So Sony took it, <laughs> oh. and they made two documentaries. One of them is called "The Red Dust" or something. Then and it's called "The Ghosts of Mars Backstage." I don't know what they're called. There's two things. I got, I got, uh, Sean and I both got credit for cinematographer. If you look on my IMDb thing, there's, t- I have two cinematography credits. Both of them are for the Ghosts of Mars, but I never got to edit 
one moment. I got really good with that camera. I used to bust in on, uh, like Ice Cube would be in there smoking in his trailer with his family. He'd be there. I'd open up and knock on the door and open up the trailer. <laughs> smoking, come pouring out, and I'd come walking in. Hey, how you doing, Cube? What's going on? Get out of here. Oh, okay. Just check it out. And I'd leave. You know, I used to do that all the time. And I used to play with Cube all the time. He'd drive him nuts. How yeah. is Cube as a person? Good guy? He's a cool guy. He was so cool. But he'd do this to me. You know, I'd, I'd put the camera here to get a cup of coffee. And try, Where's my camera? Who's got my camera? You know, and, and, and Cube would go, I'd all go, Cube, where's my camera? Uh, that's Mr. Cube, or you can call me Ice. But uh, what camera? I could, you son of a bitch, where's my camera? Give me my camera. Are you going to come into my trailer? No, no, I'll never come into your trailer again, I promise. All right, here. <laughs> he'd give me the camera back. But he'd steal it all the time, and, I, and my heart would stop every time I, the camera was missing, right? Yeah. So they took that, and they made two documentaries out of it, and I never got to learn how to cut a movie. So I was really hoping that that was going to be my – but it was great. It was great. Yeah, they take all that stuff because they don't, they don't want – they feel like you're going to release it or something. Um, you know, on the music, John does – Oh, yeah. Own music, you know, and, and – Yeah, so on the music, I named that little studio. It's no longer there, but uh, they were shooting a group of these guys and uh, Sandy. That's a group called a Heavy Metal Group, and they uh, they're going to do some of the music. For the thing, I said, "Who's?" She said, "Well, all these guys are anthrax, except for that guy. That's Buckethead." I said, "Buckethead?" She says, "Yeah, he's a musician. He wears a, 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 a Kentucky Colonel bucket over his head when he plays. <laughs> Nobody knows what he looks like." I said, "Well, he hasn't got a bucket on his head. That's right. And you can't shoot him. You can shoot everybody else, but you can't shoot Buckethead. Okay?" I said, "Okay, fine, Buckethead." And uh, so I'm shooting. I'm shooting uh, everything that's going on in the music thing. And, and I step outside for a smoke. I'm out having a smoke and I'm having a cigarette over on Fairfax. I said, excuse me, sir. I said, yeah. Has anyone ever told you you look a little like Dennis Quaid? I said, yeah. As a matter of fact, it's a friend of mine. A couple of people have mentioned that. Uh, and I was in Chicago one time having dinner with his wife and uh, some old ladies came over and said, excuse me, Mr. Quaid, could I have your autograph? And I said, sure. And I signed Dennis Quaid and Meg looked at me like I was nuts. And, and I said, yeah, a couple of people have mentioned I look a little like Dennis. I'm, I'm old Dennis. And uh, she, she says, well, you also look like my, my father. And I said, oh, really? Uh, who's your father? She said, Meatloaf. Oh. And I said, Meatloaf? I worked for her. I said, I, I did a, I did a, she says, I know. And, uh, that was the end of that conversation. The next day I'm coming back, we're shooting again. And another cute little girl walks out while I'm smoking, you know, and she walks up and she goes, excuse me, sir. I said, yeah. She said, what was it like working with Angelina Jolie? And I went, I don't know. I've never worked with Angelina Jolie. And she said, Oh, yes, my father's meatloaf, and you did that video, Rock and Roll Dreams Come Through, and she played your daughter and ran away. And 
I said, that was Angelina Jolie. And she, he said, yes, that was her first job. And Michael Bay directed it. And uh, I went, oh, my God. I worked with Angelina Jolie and didn't even know. <laughs> she was like 15, and she looked like Bambi. She had these eyes that were just like, oh, my God. She was absolutely adorable. And uh, here are here, here these two kids. Anthrax girlfriends, right? Two guys in Anthrax brought their girlfriends. Both of them were Meatloaf's daughters. And that's how I found out I worked with Angelina Jolie. And you can see you can see that on YouTube. Just Google rock and roll dreams come through. By me. You know, there's a lot of up and comers on Ghost of Mars. You know, you got Statham, that was kinda of before he really Jason Statham. He and I used to play ping pong every day. Oh really? We also had a competition because Sandy had a gym for everybody there to work out. She wanted everyone in shape. Because hmm. uh, they did a lot of physical stuff, yeah. but they had this rowing machine that was so cool. And Jason and I would have these uh, these wars. These uh, I, I did uh, 489 million miles in an hour and a half. <laughs> and the next day, come back. I did 456 billion miles in in, in 37 minutes. You know, we we had this competition going on back for everything. I don't care if it was darts. I don't care if it was uh, pool. I don't care if it was rowing machines, ping pong, whatever. He was, he's, I'm very competitive. And so is he. And we would have these wars, you know, the British American wars. <clears throat> and uh, he was, a, he's a blast to work with. I didn't see him for like 10 years. And then all of a sudden on a set of, I think it was an Audi commercial for the Super Bowl. Mm. Both of us were on it. And, uh, we ran into each other again. He was he was just such a great reunion because I love the guy. He seems like a really nice dude. <clears throat> you know, he's, really, he, you know, he was not an actor. He was a hustler. At that point, he was, he was a street hustler. He used to sell. Uh, he did uh, three card monkey. You know, huh. beep, 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 beep. pick the which ones the peanuts under. You know, and yeah. and, uh, and and hawk watches. They rip off a truck and sell a bunch of watches or plates or whatever the hell they, they were, they were hawking. He was one of those street hawkers really? and uh, Guy Ritchie discovered him and stuck him in uh, lock stock and two smoking barrels or whatever, playing a street hustler. And uh, from then on camera loved him, you know, and, and he just moved on. We got him about it in his third or fourth movie. Mm. Not many. He hadn't done much when he did Ghosts of Mars. Yeah. But it it was it was a, an illustrious cast. I, I like the whole gang. Uh, Ice Cube was so cool. It's a really fun movie. I know with Village of the Damned, it just like a year ago, it got re uh, re released with the uh, gore because for a while, you know, ever since the theatrical, they cut out all the. All, I like, think the, I talked on that thing. I think I think I told some stories about that. Yeah. Is it a, is it a. Uh, uh, like a Blu-ray. Song. It was a Blu-ray release. Yeah, Blu-ray. I think I did one of those things for uh, of the commentaries. Yeah, that that whole that that version of the film was a long time coming because like a lot of the gore got cut out for the theatrical release. You know what I mean? <laughs> of uh, Village of the Dam. Yeah, you know what well, I mean. Well, it was released on the same day of the Oklahoma bombing. Oh, really? Where they, where they blew up a bunch of children. The so movie it- ends with blowing up a bunch of children. So that, nobody, nobody wanted to see that. That's a really good point. I never even thought of that. You know, nobody I mean? wanted to see that. Unfortunately, and 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 uh, Universal rushed to get that thing out. You know, yeah. John wanted way more time to work on it. 
that uh, you know, he, you know, we want to tweak it and finesse it and make it better and and make the best movie you can. And Universal, no, 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 I want it tomorrow. I need the money. And it came out on the day of that thing and <laughs> went right in the toilet. But uh, yeah, I th- I love working on that movie. That was really a fun movie, and I got to do everything on it. I, I went up to John early on in that movie, and I said, and we were all living in cottages all over Marin County. You know, had to, you know, be carred in and bust into the location every day, either by ourselves or by, by the, by the, uh, company. And, uh, whoever had cars there, most of us didn't. We were, we flew in and we were picked up, but we had a few cars and there were local people that drove us. But, uh, I went to John. I said, you know, John, I, I think I could, I think I could be a producer. I mean, I'm, I'm good with people. I know how the bell I know how to put out fires on the set. I know how to help the deal out. I think I'd be a good line producer. What do you think? He said, really? I want to give you a shot. Uh, how many days are you working this week? Well, I said, well, I'm working Thursday. Okay, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, uh, you're going to be assistant caterer. Really? Okay. And so I'm out there cleaning out the tables, wiping up the plates of making steaks for the extra doing doing the shit jobs all of the, for a whole week there except when i'm working then i go do my job then and the next week he goes uh you're going to be a second unit set pa on this week so uh, hold the traffic uh, release the trap you know i'm doing that clear out on another another day i'm uh office pa uh can you take this down and get the, some pizza for everybody can you take this over there and get i'm office pa and then another week i'm uh baby wrangler i got 10 babies and their mothers to take care of to watch them and then the next one uh, the, the kids as they're growing up i have to teach uh, i'm the i'm the i'm still i'm the baby wrangler but grown-up babies and yeah. i'm going to take them all, all over town so they'll be in sync I'm going we are the kids of the children of the dam we went to do we are in your command bump up and like a soldier with his troops I'm marching all over the town so they're in perfect sync so that when they do their stuff they'll be in perfect sync right yeah. so i'm doing that for a whole week training them uh I did everything on that. On that. I, I, one day, I, my job was to take all, pick up all the laundry from all the cinematographers' cottages, take it down, have the laundry done, bring it back, and deliver it in all the cottages. Had all their keys, all the things, take them on. Right? Uh, the other one, I had to go pick up guys from the airport. Uh, uh, Star Wars. What's his name? Robin Hamill. Hamill. Yeah. Robin Hamill. I pick up Robin Hamill at the airport. And I go, what are you picking me up for? You got a bigger part than me. I said, I'm the office PA today. Welcome to the set. Let me take, and I take them all. We take them up to Mount Vision to look at the whole place first. And then I take them to their apartment and uh, I give them the fruit and flowers and welcome to our set. And I did the same with uh, 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 Michael Pere. Yeah. I did it with Linda Kozlowski. I did it with, uh, what's her name? Ali Sheedy, uh, Chrissy Ali. I pick him up at the airport and drive him. Another one, I was Daly's driver. Oh, that's the most terrifying job on a movie. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta, as soon as they wrap, you have to get all the film. You have to race it to the Oakland airport to get it on the plane in time for it to go down there. Pick up the other footage that's on the plane, bring it back to the Lucas Star Ranch there. Uh, and, and, and so there's 20 people waiting for you to watch the uh, footage from yesterday, right? And 
If the traffic is bad, you're, you're ha, ha. you know, if the plane is late, you're, ha, you know, it's like, oh, this is the most stressful job I ever, I think I ever had trying to know that the director, the writer, the producer, and the cameraman, and the makeup person, and everybody's waiting for you with to see this film from yesterday, right? Yeah. And you've got the film. It's like terrifying. I, I, I hated that job. I did it for a week. I said, John, that's it. So at the end of the thing, or even when the movie ended, Everybody flew home, including John. And five of us stayed to do the beauty shots. So it's the cameraman, Jeff, uh, the, uh, the, uh, Jeff Amata, who's the uh, stunt coordinator, Sandy Carpenter, uh, Gary Kibbe, uh, and me. And we're, and we're showing good beauty shots of the, of this and that, and that, of the elk. We try to make the elk run. You can't make elk do anything. They're just going to do whatever they do. <laughs> Jeff and Mata and I are going, hey, trying to chase the elk around this field to get them to aim at the camera. Yeah. You know, very frustrating job that one. But we, we're getting all the beauty shots of the whole area. And when we finish, I'm going, you're not getting the best shot. Mount Vision, where I took everybody to see. No, no, we haven't got time. We're leaving. And so we hop, hop in the car. We're supposed to be going back. I drove him up there. I, I just kidnapped him. I said, I drove him much better to the top of him. And, and Gary goes, oh, my God, look, you can see the entire, oh, my God, this is, a, set the camera up here. And the sun's setting, right? And they shot this beautiful shot of, of uh, Tamales Bay with the, uh, the estuaries of Sir Francis Drake Bay, San Francisco Bay Bridge is over here. And the sun is setting in the ocean over there. It's absolutely gorgeous shot, right? And uh, Gary said, oh, that's the greatest shot. Bo, watch the sunset. And he said, all right, pack it up. We're leaving. I said, no, 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 no. You're going to miss the explosion. He said, what explosion? We're leaving. We got the shot. Get out of here. Go. I said, no, have a cigarette. Wait 10 minutes. Watch this. Just wait. Keep the camera there. And all of a sudden, the sunset explodes over the ocean and this orange thing hits. And Gary goes, oh, my God, turn the camera. And don't you know, the movie opens with that shot, and there's another shot of it later on in the movie. And I was very, <laughs> very proud of that. Those yeah. Two yeah. I love that. Alex, I feel like I'm hogging the microphone. I know you have some, I know you have some questions. I'm on the microphone hog, yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. I'm, I'm loving, I'm loving everything. I mean, uh, the last thing I wanted to do was jump in uh, and, and mess up the flow. Uh, but, I mean... As as Matt and I both said, I mean, we both have been huge fans of yours for you know forever. And I mean, I gotta say, uh, one of my favorite um, movies is uh, Brewster's Millions, which uh, with uh, Richard Pryor. Sorry, huh? Chuck Fleming, Action News, the big story. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, I was wondering how how was that experience? I mean, Welcome I mean, working. Yeah, working on that. Well, it's 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 Walter Hill again, you know. Walter, yeah, was the greatest. Uh, I got to see a lot of really fun stuff working with Richard, of course, and John Cannier. <laughs> Come on, no, nobody's more fun than those two guys. Yeah. Uh, one thing I remember was a scene uh, in front of the Plaza Hotel in New York. And uh, Richard got the money and he pulls up and uh, Chuck Fleming goes running down to the thing. Uh, Chuck Fleming, Action News. Uh, I met Mr. Pryor, uh, Mr. Uh, uh, Monty Brewster. What are you going to do with uh, all that money? And he go, uh, 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 in the business. Uh, yeah. What kind of business would that be, Mr. Brewster? Uh, that would be uh, general, general business. And uh, 
Danny Moore, the uh, costume runner thing, has, has dubbed me general business ever, ever since that moment, right? But in the middle of that scene, and Walter always, you stick to the script with Walter. I mean, you, you never get to, I say, Walter, what if I said this here? He said, oh, that's a great idea. No. <laughs> you, you always, I, every time you try to add something and, and uh, it doesn't mean he won't. He always would say, oh, that's a great idea. No. Uh, <laughs> so I'm just used to him saying, but in this one scene, when the cab, when the cab pulls up, and the limo pulls up and out jumps uh, Monty Brewster and I go running down to him. John Candy's not even in the scene. He's not even in. He's sitting over in a director's chair off on the side there. And as the camera comes up, I go running down. Chuck Fleming, I, John Candy comes running into the scene. He goes, Chuck Fleming? Oh, my God. I love you, Chuck. Oh, hey, are we on TV right now? Oh, man. Hey, all those people didn't think I was going to make it up yours. You know, and we're just standing there like going, oh, uh, that was, uh, that was, uh, that was uh, Monty Brewster's uh, uh, catcher. Uh, anyway, and we go on with the scene. It's in the movie. It's in the movie because when John Candy does something, you know, yeah, you got to not you cut that out. It was just too much fun. Uh, yeah, John Candy is by far one of my biggest uh, inspirations. I love him, and uh, and I mean everything I, I read about him, everything I see about him is that he's he was such a great person and 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 actor, and always brought so much to. Everything he did. Yeah. True. As far as I know, true. Uh, <laughs> there was, uh, uh, I just had a brain fart. Uh, I was going to say something about, uh, Candyman. Brewster's Millions, but, uh, you I took it out of me. <laughs> you took my brain clean, clear, and dry. Uh, I know Candy's always, like Alex was saying, you always hear these really great stories about Candy. I actually heard one. I was reading one yesterday about a PA or a grip was putting lights away on, on the set. And he said, hey, can you help me out? And he's like, this big guy just came over. I didn't know who he was yet. Like it was earlier in his career or whatever. And he said, this guy was just helping him out. And then a PA came over and said, Mr. Candy, we need you on set. And he was like, oh, that's John Candy. You know what I mean? Yeah. I believe it. The uh, yeah, dude, John Candy, very tragic tale. Dude. His whole <coughs> Candy man had a you know he passed really young when you think about it at the height of his deal. Um, it's kind of he, a had, he had a lot of things going for him. He, he did. Weighed lot, he weighed a lot. He drank a lot. He smoked a lot, and, uh, and he wasn't about to slow down. No. That movie, I had a couple of the hardest things I ever had to do in a movie and uh, the most pressure I ever felt. Because you always feel a little pressure when they say action. It's all on you. Everything else doesn't matter because the camera's on you and you have to do whatever you have to do. But And usually I'm pretty good with the pressure. And, uh, you know, I, I, I try to bring bring my joy of doing it to mask the pressure of uh, nerves or whatever the else is going on. But there are two scenes, one in particular 
in Brewster's Millions when uh, Monty Brewster's lost all of his money and he's down on his luck and the whole thing is over. And I'm on the street at rush hour for the theater at 44th and Broadway. And they've paid for that big thing up on the, you know, on the, the New Year's Eve ticker tape thing that, that tells you what's going on or whatever. They've rented that for a certain period of time, like 10 of 8 that evening, to have a scroll going down, Monty Brewster loses all his money, he's a piece of shit, and the world sucks, and Monty Brewster, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Whatever they wrote up on the thing, right? That's going to happen at an exact time. At the, that exact time, the camera is set up across the street, so it's got me standing on the corner. And in the background is this thing playing. So it's got to see me and it and the crawl and everyone's being going into the theater. So it's a mob scene at 10 of 8 in the the evening on a Wednesday night. And it's Broadway, you know. It's packed with people. Plus, there's a movie set going on there. So these are more looky-loos there. And I'm standing on this corner, and I've got to say... Well, Monty Brewster just uh, did this, and he said, and Monty Brewster brought his football to baseball team over here to Hackensack, New Jersey, where they play the New York Yankees, and and I got this huge speech. And if I screw up this speech, a thousand people have to come back tomorrow night, you know? Plus, you got to rent the thing again and do the thing over. And next, the next night, not a set, not take two, the next day. Right. So just before they say action, Walt, Walter always comes up to me. He goes, "Oh, by the way, don't mention, don't forget to mention that the Hackensack Bulls are on the helicopter coming over there to play." And then you walk over there. Oh, and don't forget to mention that uh, there's a uh, going to be a football, ge- baseball game over there. It's going to be in New Jersey at the Abedda Stadium. Oh, and don't forget to make you come over two or three times and add little thing to your speech. It's not in your speech. You got it memorized, but now you got to add this and this and this, right? So they say action and I go right into my thing and bam, bada boom, bada bing, bing. And you mean your heart is pounding out of your chest and your mind is way ahead of your mind. And you're just like, trying to just be Chuck Fleming action news, the big story. And what's really in story is I'm about to die and go to hell. If I screw up and you do the thing and boom, and you get it right because the adrenaline's pumping and it's just so much fun to do that one. And then about a month before that, we're in Battery Park. And it's the arrival of the Hackensack Bulls and a helicopter, a couple of three, three helicopters. And they come flying in with a marching band with us, with a fleet of taxi cabs with uh, hundreds of extras, and I'm standing in the middle of this one again. Hi, this is Chuck Fleming Action News. The big story is uh, the Hackensack Bulls are flying in from uh, New Jersey where they're going to play the New York Yankees, and, 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 and here's the band playing over here, and over here is the this and the that, and everything in Battery Park. I mean, there's literally 1,000 people in this shot. And uh, once again, Walter coming up. Don't forget to mention the time of the game. Don't forget to mention that the Hackensack Bulls have never played. Don't forget to mention that. And he throws in three or four new 
things, you know, and you're going, God help me. If you've ever been good to me, be good to me now. And action. Hey, Chuck Bunner, you got to do the whole Man, oh man. And you, you, you got to do it in one take. If you don't do it in one take, we're back tomorrow. Wow. You know, with, with helicopters. That's and horrible. buses and, and marching bands and I, the only thing I did good, I had a good friend, Mike Hanley, who lives a Hanley family. They are, they've always been great pals of mine in New York. And they, his, his two daughters and son came out to, you know, wanted to be, wanted to see the shooting. I said, come on over, stand right over here because I think you're going to be in the shop. And uh, so they're standing off on the side watching everything. And I told, stand right there. And because when they come around, boom, you're going to be in the shop. And they said, oh, great. And uh, I didn't, I mean, I didn't tell them. I just told them where to stand. And sure enough, they've watched that movie a thousand times because they are in the shot. <laughs> that was really fun. That's classic. You know, another Walter Hill film that I really enjoy, 48 Hours, of course, you know what I mean? Well, Comedic Gold, you know what I mean? The great Eddie Murphy, who seems to be like the epitome of cool when he was, you know what I mean? There was none He was nervous as Nelly. Really? It was his first, was his first movie. Yeah. He'd never made a movie. Right. And he was nervous. I, I assumed he would be, but I figured he was so calm, cool, and collected. Everybody says, oh, you guys must have ad-libbed that whole scene. Every, Walter wrote every word. We did it exactly the way Walter said. Yeah. Word for word. He got the famous black Russian joke in there, you know what I mean? I got uh, a million black Russians served to me after that. Hell yeah, it's the official. Everywhere I went, hey, there's a black Russian sent by table seven. <laughs> Thank you. I don't drink, but thank you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, humor, you know, right. That's almost a joke that probably wouldn't fly nowadays, you know, because the climate's changed. And whenever I see a joke like that in like an older, like an 80s or 90s film, I never take it as somebody being racist or whatever. I look at like jokes kind of gets everybody laughing together. You know what I mean? And I, it's more of a unity thing, I think, than dividing. You know what I mean? It was it's a racist just, joke. It was a racist joke, but I don't think it's a bad guy. Say you best have a black Russian. Oh, black because I'm black. I get it. Yeah. There's my bar apart. If that ain't racist, nothing is. I was a racist bartender. In fact, most reviews call me the racist bartender. (laughs) You know, in a situation like that, would Eddie have any reservations about something like that? Or is it just kind of go with the flow? It's on the page. So you got to do it type deal. You know, when you're making your first movie. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. No, you do what they tell you. Yeah. And uh, Nick took him under his wing, and Nick helped him a lot. Yeah. But, yeah, that was, uh, he was, he was, I think, terrified. He had, a, he had a way of covering up that terror, which was, you know, didn't talk to anybody, didn't, you know. He was, he was, uh, but you can, you can feel the nerves, you know. Yeah. He plays it super cool. I mean, that's a, a testament to his super acting, you cool. know what I mean? Oh, he's great at it. He's yeah. great at it. There's a new sheriff in town. His name is Reggie Hammond. Y'all be cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're doing another one, too. I guess there's another Beverly Hills cop going to Netflix soon. You know what I mean? You Let were... Him me. No? Um, I'm going to talk to him, and then I'm going to give you a call. Let him know. <laughs> yeah. Let him know I made his career. <laughs> <laughs> How was I know you worked on the Karate Kid, another gigantic film at the time. You know how was that? Uh, John G. Avelson. Was it like yeah, to work with John they, G. They uh, uh, they cut my scene. I had one little bit in there. Coach, I, played, yeah. I played a 
as coach. Yeah. And uh, the kid trips him playing soccer. And uh, I come over and they start fighting and I come over and I, I, I kick him off the team. Uh, that's, that's the only scene that's left in the movie. There was another scene where he, he comes into my office the next day and apologizes, blah, 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 blah. I let him back on the team. But that scene's not there. Not, that scene's cut. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it was, it was great. I got to meet the, uh, uh, Chad Lowe, mm-hmm. who, who is, uh, Rob Lowe's kid. And, uh, uh, Steve McQueen's son. What's his name? Uh, Forget his name. I, I used to know uh, it though. I and, used to know it, man. <laughs> but it was it was uh, uh, it was it was a fun show to do. It was I was only there for a couple of days, so that's that's a classic one too. So yeah, you know, Walter Hill being like a Mortal Kombat got a lot of mileage too. That was a Mortal Kombat's a good flick. I like that a lot. You know, I love doing that little scene uh, at the beginning there of that thing uh, when. Uh, I morph into uh, uh, what's his name, the uh, Asian guy, Carrie uh, Elwes. Carrie Elwes. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, he comes over and I give him the scroll to go fight on. Uh, I'm sitting in his chair with my sunglasses on. And he goes, "Excuse me, sir, you're in my chair." <laughs> oh, Mister Boyd. Yeah. Oh, uh, listen. Uh, so you got to fight next Easter over on an island and. Guam, here. Good luck. And I get up and I walk away and get morphed into Carrie. It was the first time, at least the first time I knew of, that they morphed anybody, right? So they didn't know how to do it. Technically, they knew how to do it. We shoot with nobody there. Then we shoot with you walking. Then we shoot with him walking. Then we shoot with nobody there. Then we take the four pieces of film and we erase you on one side and we erase him on the other and you're morphed in. That's that's the concept. But to actually have it timed so that your walking and his walking are in perfect sync, they didn't know how to do that. Yeah. They had a metronome. So walking on the metronome thing, right? And it wasn't working. It wasn't working. It wasn't working. And finally, I told Carrie, I said, you know, you see that little bubblegum spot on the ground there? I said, I'm going to hit that on my 10th step. I said, you should, you should hit it on your 10th step, and we'll see what happens. And so I did. I hit that thing, boom, on my 10th step. He hit that thing, boom, on his 10th step. It was a perfect match. So that's, that's the way we morphed for the first time. After that, I'm sure they... I don't know how they, you know, in the Matrix and all that other stuff where they morph it and do everything, where they they they, they technically have it down to a to a you know a computer art. But in those days, it was like you go to the Studebaker, do a button hook, and I'll hit you along. You know, it was like like kids playing football on the street. Go down to the Hudson there and turn left, and I'll throw it to you. And you, you know, it was like it was like two kids playing. We were two kids playing on the thing. I'll go to go to the bubblegum spot. And all, all the, you know. Yeah. You know, speaking of Mortal Kombat being a video game, you've done some voice work for some video games like Fallout and Gears of War and stuff. Gears of War? Like- I hated doing that. God, by the end of the day, I had a headache. Such a headache. <laughs> I did Gears of War 2, 3, and 
one, one, two, and three, or two and three and four? I think two and three, I think. Two and three. But I was the only one to live for 2,000 years. Or, <laughs> or, however, however long they brought me back for life from. Well, well you, you lived because you kept your head down. See, no. that, that's why you lasted yeah, so long. You kept your head down. Keeping your head down is very important in life. Oh, God. How do you like yeah. that? How do you like doing voiceover stuff? You know, uh, you, you don't really have anybody to play off of. but you Great. Don't you don't have to shave. Yeah, exactly. Just show up kind of, you know, go in the studio. I like it all. Yeah. I like playing. I just like playing. I like showing up and playing. Yeah. I just, I just did one in Arrowhead here two weeks ago, a little Hallmark movie where, uh, uh, you know, the sweet little Christmas stories. And uh, it was just so great to be on a set. You know, I walked right on. Hi, Pete. Who are you? Hi, I'm good. I, I meet everybody as I walk in, and, and then I get to play with them for a week. You know, it's just nothing more fun than that. Creating a family, having a ball, and uh, you know, I loved. I love carpenters. If there's ever a problem on the set, carpenter would go walk over. Excuse me, you guys. I heard uh, some yelling going on. Is there a problem? Oh no, John. Well, we, well actually, we were trying to figure out how to. He said, "Hey, before you even tell me anything, you ever been in a video store?" Yeah. You ever look up on the wall and seen all those videos? It's been done before. Can't be that difficult. And he walk away. And that was always that was always his line. You ever been in a video store? <coughs> Just the image of eight billion tapes. Yeah. So that was that was the way he he would get through stuff. I know John's a big video gamer. I know he gets into the gaming. You know, it's good to see you doing the video games because it's almost like video games become almost bigger than like films nowadays. You know what I mean? It's such a huge market. Well, I got it. I got it. Well, here's your buddy John Wayne. That's real. Yeah. Old. I love it, dude. I love it. True Grit. Word up. True Grit book. Real Lobo. Okay. And this one over here is the new director you have to watch, Edgar Pablos. He's on the come up. He's a new one. He's a good one. He's a goodie. I like it. I'm digging on that. Alexander, I know you had more questions. Yeah, um, another, another, uh, I hogged hmm? the microphone. I hogged the microphone too much, dude. Hey, hey, dude, dude, I, I, I like, uh, let, let you go. You got a lot of this stuff. I don't like it. Jump in on, on, until, you know, you, you've taken a breath. You calm down a little bit. <laughs> but, um, another great, a great film. Uh, you gotta work with, uh, Clint Eastwood on Heartbreak Ridge. Good times. Director, starring and directing, I believe. Yes, he was. We both got our, our heads shaved together. And I looked, and he got, he got shaved first, and I looked over to him, and, I, <laughs> and he goes, boom. And he hits me and knocks me right out of the chair. <laughs> with his left hand, by the way. Boom. Yeah. Went with him. yeah. And, uh, yeah, he's just, he was a strong guy. He's, uh, uh, we shot over in Sandra. He was going with Sandra Locke at the time, and she had an office at Mount Paso. And we shot my scene in her office. Hmm. And in that office, they had the prototype of the of the thing he invented, which is uh, for the gym, where you stand in it and it's got those pads, and you go like that with your arms. Yeah, he invented that. He invented that. He invented that, wow. and uh, the prototype was right there in her office. But, uh, yeah, that, that, that guy, I was supposed to play his commanding officer and, and the script went, we start to rehearse and he says, uh, all right, let's, uh, let's rehearse. Where's the cigar? And I went, you know, you want a cigar? And he goes, well, it says, the script says you're smoking a cigar. 
And I said, yeah, well, look at the ceiling. I said, look at this room and look at us crowded in here. You want that in here all day? He goes, let's lose a cigar. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so so I think he liked that to begin with. And, And then I remember the first time we rehearsed, we rehearsed it. And uh, then we were going to start to shoot it. And uh, he was talking like this, you know, and he says, and he becomes the director. And he goes, all right, and action. And I went, uh, listen, highway. And he goes, well, I'm going to tell you what. And I, <laughs> I started laughing. He goes, what are you laughing about? And I said, well, uh, you can use that voice. <laughs> and he goes, that's who I do. And I went, I'm sorry. It just cracked me up. You were talking in this one voice. And you were not, I mean, I'm sorry. And he goes, Jesus. All right. Take it. Take two. <laughs> but I guess nobody's supposed to laugh at Clint Eastwood's voice. <clears throat> He's got that Christian Bill Batman voice. We were talking like this. All right. Let's set the camera up over there. Set the camera over there. Ready? In action. Oh, sorry. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you. I couldn't help it. I just started laughing. I guess nobody laughs at Clint Eastwood. Ooh, ooh, ooh. You be careful with Clint, yeah. It's Clint Eastwood. <laughs> Mr. Two Voice after that. I like that. <laughs> he does have that voice. Nobody ever talks but out. He's got- <laughs> I never got tired of that voice, but I <laughs> but it shocked me. You know, it just shocked you. Yeah. You just from talking and then going to another voice, like, oh, he's gonna do that guy. <laughs> yeah, yes, that's who I do. Right. Yeah. You know, you and then you were in the new Jurassic Park film as well. Oh, that was, was the greatest. Yeah. How'd that come about? I know. My wife's going, are you ever going to finish this show? Oh, we'll, we'll finish up. <laughs> After this, we'll be done. And we thank yeah, her. Jurassic was, was a blast. That's Frank Marshall again. Yeah. Uh, producing. And he, he's, he, uh, he brought me and my wife over to, uh, to London for that because the, the monsters are shot in Hawaii. But the courtroom scene with Jeff Goldblum and myself was, uh, was uh, shot in England. And uh, they put us up at the Stoke Park. Which was uh, which is fourteen hundred year old castle. Uh, it's a magnificent place with a couple of golf courses. I got to play grass tennis courts for the first time in my life, and uh, that was that was the greatest thing about that trip because I love tennis and I love grass and I never played on it, you know. And uh, uh, so I got to play, and it was just like, oh my god, this is heaven. But I'm tell you one story, and we'll end it with with the Jeff Goldblum, who was uh, who was just the greatest. And so I wake up at six six o'clock one morning, and I got to go to work for the first time. Right? They've already fitted me and everything else. Now we're going to go to work. So I wake up at six. I'm down in the lobby. I got a six thirty pickup, looking for a cup of coffee. No one's awake. The night manager's there. He said, "He said no, it's not." I said, "Do you think you can make me a cup?" Yeah. Well, let me see if I can do it. And he goes and. Hello, love. Let me see if I can make one well, here. And he makes me a cup of coffee, right? And I got a coffee, and I'm sitting there waiting for 6.30 to arrive. And all of a sudden, Jeff Goldblum comes walking down the stairs, hits the top landing there, strikes a pose. <laughs> and I've never met the man in my life, right? And says, Carnegie Mellon. And he looks at me like that. And I put a coffee down and I stood up and I struck a pose and I went, no, Carnegie Institute of Technology. And he goes, oh my God, how old are you? <laughs> <laughs> and he comes down and he goes, he goes, did you have Edith? 
And I said, yes, I did. And Edith Warman Skinner was our speech teacher, right? And anybody who had Edith knows her book, Speak with Distinction. And everybody who Edith ever touched had to learn. And he starts in, he goes, it's a warm wind, the west wind, full of birds' cries. And I go, I never hear the west wind, but tears are in my eyes. And we both go, for it comes from the westland, the old brown hills, and April's in the west wind, and daffodils. It's a fine land, the west land, for hearts as wild as mine. Apple orchards blossom there, and the air's like wine. It's fire to a man's soul, brother, blood to a man's brain. Will you not come home, brother, home to roost again? And we both do it exactly the same way, because that's the way we were taught. And we bonded immediately on that movie, and we had so much fun. I had so much fun working with him. Yeah. It was great. It was really great. He seems like a great dude. Well, Peter, we thank you for your time. We, we, usually, ask one, we usually ask one question, one last question at the end of the show, and it's, you know, there's a lot of our filmmakers, actors, authors, musicians, comedians that watch the show. Do you have any advice for any of them that, you know, they, they found themselves in a slump or, you know, kind of keep going, like something inspirational to kind of tell somebody on the come up to kind of keep their morale high. Any advice? Well, there's a whole history of film and theater available. You know, if you're not doing anything, see a movie. Somebody, I was talking with some kids the other day. They didn't know who Barbara Streisand was. I came up as a singer. And Barbara Streisand and Whitney Houston are two of the greatest singers of all time. I mean, they're phrasing. Frank Sinatra, his breathing. I mean, go back and listen to the people who old people think were the greatest. Ask old people what they're, who they think were the greatest, and then watch those people that they thought was the greatest. And then you're going to see stuff you've never imagined, because there's a long history of film and and, and stage and uh, in this country. And you, if you don't know the history of it, you don't. You, you have no future. You know, you don't know where to go. You 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 think you're inventing something new? Check it out. You know, go see a fish called Wanda if you want a good laugh. You know, go see uh, the Maltese Falcon. Go see uh, Treasure of Sierra Madre. Go see. Uh, well, there's a million movies you can go see, you know. Watch Spencer Tracy. Watch him play with Catherine Hepburn in several comedies. Go see, you know, go see the history of the film when you've got time off and you're not working. That's what you do when you have time off. That's called work. That's the work you have to do to learn how to play because you're going to find out there's a ton of shit you don't know about. Learn about it. Go see a movie. That's my advice. I, like I love that. you for letting me show up. I support that. Thank you again for being on Thanks. the show. It was an honor, man. My pleasure. It, it was great. Thanks for coming. Yes. Have a great remainder of the weekend. I'll talk to we'll you We'll have soon. some clam chowder with some lobster in it. Hey, when you come back this way, we're going to have clam. All three of us are going out for clam chowder. Now you're talking. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Peter. Have a good one. Thank you, sir. You bet. Bye-bye. Take care. And that was a glorious episode of the Boombastic cast. With the great Peter Jason, ladies and gentlemen. But that was a, a lengthy interview discussion about a lot of great, great stuff. Like Alex said before, we've both been fans for forever. Um, 
a career that is incredibly huge with a lot of great stuff. You know, we touch base on some of our most favorite projects. He's got a whole bunch of other projects that we love too. Uh, maybe we'll get him on again. Um, if just a chat, cause he's a good dude. And I'm, I'm holding out for that clam chowder, baby. I want some of that clam chowder. I'm still- Dude, I hope I hope that whenever he comes in, he hits us up because heck, clam chowder is on me. Is because that the red or the white clam chowder—that's my Ace Ventura line for the movie. Is that the red or the white? Well, well, I mean, the thing is that I mean, uh, he has such a great experience. He's been with so much, and he's such a a nice guy. He, yeah. He's get, told us so many great stories and a lot of great advice. I mean, I mean, admittedly, I mean, like like you said, you know, you, you were you were hogging the conversation, but a lot of times I was just mesmerized by what he was talking about, and the last thing I wanted to do was to jump in and 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 all of that and and mess up the flow because you know there were things that I didn't even think of that he went down a different rabbit hole that you know, which I'm glad. I mean, this is why we do what we do, and. It was a huge honor, and I think I'm speaking for both Matt and myself, that we had the chance of having Peter Jason on the show. Shizzle. The greatest thing I learned today is that John Carpenter is a fan of Bad Fish. <laughs> <laughs> that was he's, go- he's going to actually print up T-shirts and wear them around town now. I'm not going to lie, that took away my breath for a couple seconds, because I, knowing that it was a joke, and I still... And I still it took my it took me took me back a little bit. That's how that's how incredible that statement was. You know what I mean? But thanks again, Peter. Man, always a pleasure to kind of be in your presence. And uh, hopefully, we'll get some more time with you. Uh, anybody out there, go check out Peter's films, man. Like he said, watch films. You know, not even if you're in a slum, man. Just watch films. Films are beautiful. Um, they, you know. We, we've talked so much about films. There's nothing more else you can say about them. They're just great and they're good for you. It's medicine for the soul. Watch them. You know what I mean? Uh, I, I can't say enough good things about Peter. This was a lot of fun. And uh, I hope you guys enjoyed it out there. So if you uh, if you enjoyed this interview, go check out more interviews on the Boombastic Media uh, channel on YouTube. And uh, wherever you listen to the Boombastic cast on your audio podcast format, you know, it's out there uh, on a bunch of different platforms, audio-wise, and the YouTube. So check it out. Uh, support us. Support Peter. And uh, support yourselves out there, like we like to say. And uh, we hope everybody's having a great time. We are. We'll catch you all on the next episode of the Boombastic Cast. Peace.